I'd like to talk to you this morning about overcoming by God's wisdom. I know by now you've finally gotten the message that, uh, that we've been working our way all the way through the book of James, chapter by chapter and uh, nearly verse by verse. Uh, today we've come to the end of the journey. And we're going to begin reading today in verse number 7 of James chapter 5. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke, who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We've been talking these days uh, over the general theme of suffering with purpose. You know, James is a book of wisdom, as uh, those of you who have been here before already know. We love it because it's so practical. Uh, it's the Proverbs of the New Testament. Someone said that James presents 60, that's right, six zero, obligations in 108 verses. Uh, this is why whenever you read it, it looks so much like the Proverbs in the Old Testament, because when you read the Proverbs, you know, those verses are, are just like in, encapsulized, uh, the truth of a particular item verse by verse. When I was preparing for this message this morning, I sat down and I thought, you know, I'm going to start thinking through all the topics that James talks about in James. And I began to write, and of course I ran out of room in the area that I had to write in. But remember when we were way back in chapter 1, James says, listen, when you want wisdom, all you have to do is pray for it. Pray to the Lord, but make sure you pray in faith, believing, expecting that God's going to give you the wisdom you need for the time. And then remember, he, he, he kind of dropped a, a bombshell when he said that poor people are especially blessed by God. And that is so counter to the culture in which we live because I think even in churches today, people have the idea that, that the rich people are more blessed than poor people. Not so. James says, poor people really have an advantage in, in a spiritual respect. Uh, God blesses them more because they have to depend more on God and they walk through this life in a whole lot closer relationship with God. That was a revelation to a lot of people. And then remember, James said that the major force of temptation in our life is, is comes out of our fallen human nature that every single person has within their, within their being. He also said that the Bible is like a mirror. Whenever you look in the Bible, it speaks back to you. We got up this morning, we looked in the mirror, and we said, oh my, well, there's some changes that need to be made before we go out. And, and that's uh, the way the Bible uh, projects to us as well. When we look in the Bible, it speaks back to us. It talks to us. It lets us see ourselves not as we want to see ourselves and not as other people see us, but as God sees us. 
And God enables us uh, through the Word of God to come to grips with who we really are. And then, uh, one of the great topics in the book of James is the whole idea of faith and works. You know, we're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. That's the purpose for which God made us. Remember, the Lord says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, the book of James is written to Jewish Christians. They were scattered abroad all over the world. And you know, when you go back in the Old Testament and you begin to read all the way through, you find that there were periods of God scattering. He took his people, plucked them right out of the Holy Land and dispersed them in different parts of the world. Remember, the Assyrians came down and took away the northern tribes of Israel and took them off into bondage. And it wasn't so long after that that Babylon came across and took uh, more of the southern kingdom away. And God was planting his people in different parts of the world. Um, that's the scattered. In Acts chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says that we're dwelling at, in Jerusalem de devout men from every nation under heaven at that time. They were all over the place. Listen, Jews are all over the place today, but something different is happening today. And this is not the time of scattering. This is the time of gathering. Jews are going back to the land, especially from Europe. Uh, they are leaving Europe as we speak now. They are afraid. And they see in Israel and through their fearless leader, Mr. Netanyahu, an opportunity maybe to be secure, maybe to be safe. And so there is an uprising in many, many countries today of the Jews to go back to their homeland, the gathering together of the Jews. Well, these people to whom James was writing, they were Jewish Christians. And they were being persecuted by their Jewish friends for simply being Christians. And they were not only being persecuted by their Jewish friends, but they were being persecuted by their Gentile friends or enemies simply because they were Jews. And so they were living in all these different places. The Bible says every nation under heaven. And they were one lonely group of people. And these are the people to whom James writes in the book of James. These lonely people, these hurting people, these suffering people, and he was trying to give them a manual that would help them live out their Christian life. And so if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you. And it's good enough for me today. They were suffering. Uh, Jews today are especially suffering. You're aware of this if you're listening to the news. Uh, we just got word from one of the missionary boards uh, that we work with that our missionary to Pakistan went on what they call the anonymous list. And there are more of these missionaries going on the anonymous list all the time. And uh, the mission board said, listen, don't put their name out on the internet. Don't give their name, don't give the country that they're ministering into. It's too dangerous for them right now. And so we're seeing a tremendous persecution take place. 
these people are paying the price for their faith. When you go back to chapter 1 in James, remember uh, there was a purpose for this all. And the purpose of suffering and trials coming into our life was to make us strong. Uh, in the worst of times, we are to be, as Christians, the best of people. And we're not just to get through it, so to speak, but we're supposed to get through it and exhibit joy in the midst of it. Now, just think of this. Joy in the midst of it. In our Men's Bible Fellowship last Wednesday, Chuck Green, who is an incredible teacher, was talking about things men need. And uh, he took the whole time talking about joy, how men need joy, the joy of the Lord. Not happiness, not the things that are generated, not, not a good feeling because we had a good day at work, but uh, a good feeling because we learn how to exhibit the joy of the Lord, which emanates not from outward circumstances, but from the Spirit of God within us. And that's what James said, the same thing. He said, I want you to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And then he gave us the reason for it. Because God was protecting and perfecting our faith, making us strong, uh, enabling us to, to face the future. In fact, the New Living Translation says in chapter 1, verse 4, making us ready for anything. And so troubles come in our life to prepare us for the next chapter of troubles that come in our life. And so uh, we go from trouble to trouble. I'm sorry to say that, but the Bible does say man that is born of a woman is but of a few days and full of trouble. And so James is trying to encourage these Jewish Christians out there sprinkled all over the world and he's trying to lift up their sights, and he does it by talking about the coming of the Lord. Let's look at it in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. Uh, the coming of the Lord will change things. It won't always be this way, James is saying. He's casting a vision of the future. Um, in verse 7, in verse 8, and in verse 9. James refers to this, the coming of the Lord. Lift up your eyes when you are in trouble. Think about the coming of the Lord. Now, Paul made a big deal, too, about the coming of the Lord. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, he says this, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> blessed hope. Those are kind of like code words in the church. We use that term around the church. People know what we're talking about. People in the world, of course, wouldn't have a clue what we're talking about. The blessed hope of the Christian. That's the coming of the Lord. You know, Christians do yearn for the day when Christ shall return and balance the books, right? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are live and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. We look forward to that, don't we? Um, you know, our heart grieves within us whenever we see the injustices around us in the world and our heart kind of cries out for justice. Now listen, if your heart cries out for justice for those people who are 
being persecuted in our world. Uh, listen, don't feel lonely. You're in good company. Revelation 6.10 says this, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Uh, we want justice. We do. But God offers mercy today for those who come to him. Now, the coming of the Lord will change things, but troubles will always abound. Jesus is very dogmatic about this in his teaching. In Luke 17, he said, And as it, it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. He said in John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, but in the world you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 says this, Strengthen the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so troubles are going to always abound. We know that. But the message uh, that James is projecting here in these few verses, which I read this morning, was to be patient in light of the troubles that we face. Relax. Don't panic. Now, in verse 7 and verse 8 and in verse 10, we have the word patience. For those of you who like to write in your Bible, write the word long-suffering because that's what that word patience means right there, long-suffering. And that means to bear up for a long, extended period of time. Uh, how long do we have to be patient, waiting for the coming of the Lord? A long time. There's another word that is used here, and that is the word endurance. Look at it in verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Now, we've talked to you about the word endurance before. It means to remain under the load. And so these two words we put together, patience or long-suffering, and in remaining under the load. And it simply means that the load that God has called you and me to carry is long, it's not short, it's long, and it's heavy. And uh, he gives some illustrations right here. Look, look at it in verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit. You know, no crop appears overnight, does it? We look out at the fields around Finleyville today. They're empty, they're hard, they're frozen. But um, have faith. The farmers are going to start working the field pretty soon. And those fields are going to change. A farmer has to be patient. Patient with the weather. Every farmer would like to have his hand on the weather, wouldn't he? He would like to dial it up and uh, bring the right rain and the right humidity and things of that nature. But, uh, and so would you. But uh, we don't have that privilege. Too much rain, the crops rot in the ground. Too little rain, they die a natural death. And the Bible talks about the early rain here and the latter rain. Uh, that refers to the rain of planting and the rain of reaping over in Israel, their section of the world. In the autumn, the early rains came and that enabled them to plow up the fields and to plant the, plant the grain. Uh, but in the spring... February, March, and April, another rain came, and it was called the latter rain. 
And that rain came down and uh, it brought forth an abundant harvest. I find it interesting that in this particular verse we have the word precious. That's verse 7, precious. You know, the farmer looks at the field a little different than you do. He sees it as something very precious. Uh, why does he wait so patiently? Because the harvest is precious. The beauty of the crops. How many times have you driven by a farm and said, man, that field is just beautiful. It's incredible what they've grown over there. It's beautiful. And the value of those crops. Well, the farmer probably looks at it a little different. He probably starts counting them. Let's see. Ka-ching, 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 ching, 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 ching. And he looks at the value of the crops. And then there's the, uh, the necessity of the crops. You know, they were the difference for the farmer between life and death. And so the farmer waits patiently with his crop. He doesn't panic. He's not out of control. He just does the right thing at the right time, and he's patient. Now, this is the example that we have right here. We are spiritual farmers, and we are to take the cue that James is giving us right here and learn from a farmer. Our mind is to be on the harvest. We're like the farmer. We envision a full field of crops, don't we? Uh, not only is this job going to be long, but it's going to be hard. A long, hard, difficult task. Spiritual farming begins in our hearts. Look at verse 8. You also be patient, establish your hearts. You know, to be a good farmer, spiritually speaking, you have to settle these issues in your heart. You have to be established. Romans 1.11 says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. What does that mean? It means come to grips with your purpose. The reason we're left here on earth. Why? Why are we left here? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. And so that's what James is saying too. Don't let the trouble and the suffering and the afflictions and the trials and the heartbreaks around you shake you so that you are not established. Uh, we need to know ourselves, the purpose for our existence. Uh, sometimes we are shaken, aren't we, by our afflictions? But uh, we need to be established. In the midst of all of this chaos that's around us. You know, the spiritual farmer has to also understand the seasons of growth. There's the winter season. That's when a person's heart is impenetrable. Uh, the ground is unplanted. It's hard. Uh, a hard heart is closed to the seed. How many times have you heard somebody who came to Christ who said, you know, Ten years ago, I would never think about these things. Ten years ago, I would have never entertained the idea of coming to God in my life. Their heart was hard. There was no ability to plant anything in their hard heart. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, 
for it is time to seek the Lord. You know, God knows how to open hardened hearts, doesn't he? He's pretty good at it. Um, how many times have you heard somebody say, God got my attention? God knows how to get our attention. He, uh, hard circumstances of life come crushing down upon people. How many people here have gone to see the movie Unbroken or you're reading the book? Raise your hand. Unbroken, okay? A number of people in the first service also. It's the story of, it's one of those few movies you can go to and not be so embarrassed that you want to walk out of the movie. It's the story of Louis Zamperini. He was an incredible Olympian. Uh, he ran, uh, I was reading in one of the parts of the book that he ran in the sand a 4.12 mile. Now you know how hard it is to walk in the sand? He was fleet of foot. But he went into the, uh, into the service in the World War II and his plane was shot down over the Pacific. And uh, the writer of his book said that on the fifth night in his life raft with two other friends that had survived the plane crash, he prayed out to the Lord and that was, the only, that was the, just the second time of his life that he had prayed. A few weeks later he was praying out loud every day and he had no idea how to speak to God, so he recited snippets of prayers that he heard in movies. And uh, they prayed that God would save them, and God sent an albatross for them to eat. Now, I've used the word albatross for years. I never knew it was a bird. It is a bird, albatross. And in the book it said, in, out in the middle of the ocean, this albatross came down on this on their life raft and they grabbed it and they had lunch. I don't, it wasn't very good, I'm sure, but they were happy to get it. And as time wore on, they went through different periods of having no water to drink. And you know, you can't live without water. And one period, they, uh, they were without water for six days. Now that's incredible within itself. And so Louis Zamperini made a promise to God. He said, God, if you'll give us water, I'll give my life to you. I'll dedicate my life to the service of God. One day later, it began to rain, and Louis Zamperini made good his promise to God. You see, pain is the opening through which God comes. A person who would never think about calling out to God was in such a catastrophic place in their life that they did call out to God, and God heard their prayer. Uh, planting season. That was the time that Louis was in the life raft. Uh, when is that for people around us? You know, people will engage believers today in conversation about spiritual things. I think this is a good time to talk to people about the Lord because people are really confused about what's happening in the world. They really are. People are wondering what on earth is going on. Uh, they're scratching their head and they're open to spiritual conversation. People are coming to church today and they're ready to listen. They really are. Uh, they're gathering together in Bible studies at work and the Word of God is being planted in their hearts. They're picking up Bibles and opening them for the first time and wondering, hey, what's in this book? What's in here? And those seeds began to germinate in those conditions of darkness and searching for them and it becomes for them a growing season. 
and that means change. You know, when you come to Christ, change takes place in your life. It really does. Uh, you can't come to Christ and be unchanged. Uh, a person is changed into a new person when you walk with Christ. Attitudes are changing. Friends say to you, what do you mean you're going to church? What do you mean you're reading the Bible? What do you mean you're not going out with us to the bar every night to drink with us? What's wrong with you? Changes are taking place in a person's heart. And uh, eventually there's a harvest of righteousness in a person's life. Uh, that person's life brings forth fruit. Well, we are spiritual farmers. We have our eyes on the harvest and we're working the fields. We're looking at people and their stages of growth and we're seeing ourselves. And above and beyond all things, James is saying, listen, be patient. Don't push the harvest. Sometimes we get in trouble when we do that, right? We try to manipulate people into coming to God. We try to force them to come to God. Uh, we pull tricks on them to bring them to God. But uh, James is saying, listen, just be patient. God is at work. You just be the faithful farmer that you need to be. Uh, patient with the hearts of heart. Loving them, praying for them. Not running away from them. Interacting with them. Remember, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Keep in connection with your friends who need Christ. Don't turn them completely off in your life. Just always leave an opening there where you can be an encouragement to them along their journey. Be patient and faithful with the seed of the Word of God. You know, there's no harvest without the seed. And so the seed has to be planted. Pass out Bibles, Christian literature, even if it's as simple as quoting a verse of Scripture. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And then water the seed and wait for the harvest and be expectant that God is going to bring forth a harvest. Galatians 6, 9 is an encouragement. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The New Living Translation says, if we don't give up and quit. Don't stop being a farmer. Now, verse number 9 is uh, kind of interesting here in light of this context. It says, do not grumble against one another. And I thought, well, where did that come from? You know, we're talking about being spiritual farmers and all of, all of a sudden he says, don't grumble with each other. If a farmer starts using his sickle against each other, they're going to miss the harvest. I think that's what it means. Uh, like the farmer, we keep working. How can a person keep working for the Lord uh, when he's young? Uh, how can a person keep working for the Lord when uh, they are, he's part of a young couple, raising a family with young children? How can a person keep serving the Lord when they become empty nesters? When the kids are, have left the house, how can they keep serving the Lord? And then eventually, how can they keep serving the Lord when they're senior citizens? Well, uh, this is a lifetime of farming that God calls you to and God calls me to. And it's amazing, uh, those of us who've been in the church a long time together, we've seen people come through the, uh, through the seasons of life. They started out as just teenagers in the church and grew up and got married and now they have kids or now their kids are grown or become teenagers and 
and uh, they're still serving the Lord. They're right on. They're right on serving the Lord. Well, the word is that Jack Wurtson, who was the founder of Word of Life Bible Institute in New York, on his deathbed told one of his friends, I want you to talk to the doctor because I don't think he's saved. He was dying, and his heart was beating for the lost around him. Jack Wurtson started his Bible Institute and, and his camp up in Scroon Lake, New York. I, Joanne and I have been up there a couple times, I think. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And he did that purposefully. And he took teenagers out of New York City and he got them out of their culture up onto the isolation of uh, New York. And he preached the gospel to them and they came to Christ. And I'll tell you, they're still doing it up there. And they're doing, not only doing it up there, but they're doing it around the world. In fact, Daniel Gonzalez in Ecuador is the director of the Word of Life camp in Ecuador. They're all over the world. Jack Wurtson had a vision. He was a farmer. And to the end of his life, he was working the field. He kept working the field. It's possible. It really is. Uh, the prophets, too. They were persecuted. And uh, look at verse number 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Um, this is important. And then there was Job. Uh, Job is uh, an illustration here as well. You know, the Bible says that Job was a very righteous person. But I'll tell you, whenever you bring the subject of Job up, uh, no one wants to take place with him, right? change places with him. And we learn from the story of Job that uh, Satan is allowed by God sometimes to come and to torture us, to afflict us. Remember, God's trying to make us stronger. That's the purpose. And that's what Paul said. Paul affirmed that in 2 Corinthians 12. This is what he said. Lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning the thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, Listen, I wouldn't change a thing. I have this thorn in the flesh that Satan implemented in my life, and God allowed him, of course, because Satan can't do anything without the permission of God. God is overarching and all-powerful and sovereign. And so like the farmer, we wait and we work for a spiritual harvest. We don't give up. And the reason is because the, the harvest is precious. There's nothing as precious as a soul, is there? And like the prophets, we look for opportunities to witness, to share the truth. We take opportunities. We make opportunities. And like Job... We wait for God to fulfill His promises. And as we see God's working in our life, we know that God does have a plan. And we face these trials with joy because we want our life to have impact. You and I are here because of someone else's impact in our life. Just think of that this morning. Someone had an impact on your life. I seldom ever mention my father. I, I think it's because most people always talk about their mother. My father has been in heaven for over 30 years. 
But I have memories of him when I was just the smallest of kid of a kid growing up in on the main street in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. We lived on the fourth floor of the bank building. And I would look out the window, the back of our apartment, and I would see my dad come home from the PNLE, the Pittsburgh and Lake Erie Railroad, working as a mechanic on the old steam engines. And he would, uh, I would look out and I would see him coming and I knew I knew what he looked like. I could just, even though I couldn't make out his face, I knew it was him. All the men walking from the roundhouse, working on those old steam engines, were covered with grease and dirt and grit and grime. And they were just filthy every day they went to work and came home that way. And I would look out the window and I would say to my mother, can I go meet, can I go meet my dad? And she said, okay. And I would walk down the steps of the four stories in that apartment building there on Chartiers Avenue, Main Street of McKee's Rocks. And I'd go right around the corner and I'd get up on those tracks and I'd go meet him and I'd carry his lunch bucket. I was just about this, this tall. And uh, he was not an educated man uh, as far as book education was concerned, but he was an educated person in the Bible. He knew the Bible well. And he lived the Bible well, and he had a tremendous impact upon us. He always worked two jobs, uh, had to, to just eke out a living for his family. Uh, but more than that, he was a person of impact. He impacted my life and the life of my sister, Judy, who's four years younger than I am. And she, to this day, living in Columbus, Ohio, serves the Lord with all of her heart because her dad, that hard-working man, who went out every day and just uh, worked to provide something for the family, had more than the purpose just to do that. He had a spiritual purpose. He was a farmer. He worked the field. He never gave up. And uh, as a result, we still see fruit to his life, and the fruit to his life is actually growing everywhere. Somebody told me about a year ago, hey, I met someone that your father won to Christ. Now remember, he's been gone 30 years. I met someone that your father won to Christ. He was your father's paper boy that delivered papers to his house, and he's still serving the Lord. And so, you know, life is tough, and uh, it's tough for you, it's tough for me, it's tough for everybody, but when you have purpose, it makes all the difference in the world to know that we're here with purpose. We can wake up every day and say, listen, I have purpose. I want to encourage you. Be faithful. Be patient. God's working out the plan. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, let us think this morning about being a farmer, work in the field. Uh, we work in the winter. We work in the spring. We work in the summer. We work in the fall. We never quit. Our eye is on the field, the harvest, and it's a harvest of righteousness. It's God changing people's lives. Christ coming in and 
being born in their heart, giving them a new chance, a new slate, a new goal in life, washing away their sins as far as the east is from the west, making their sins that were scarlet white as snow, erasing the account that was against them. That's our business. That's what we do. And we don't do it just at a certain period of our life. We do it our whole life. When we're young or a teenager, a young adult, a young couple, an empty nester, senior citizen, we never quit. We keep working the field. Our eye is on the harvest. Dear Lord, I just pray that you will help us today to see the harvest field out there, to be patient, to endure, to keep moving, to keep working, uh, because the harvest is precious to you. They're the people for, that you died for. Help us to reach them with the gospel of Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song. And as we sing together, if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, There's no 